our series, and I'm excited. I'm mission. Uh, and today is actually, last week and this week, is one long introduction to this series because we had to get some things in order before we can really talk about this mission, the importance, the significance of the mission of God. Last week, we talked about God's heart. Uh, this week, we're going to go over the Great Commission, or really our mission, the one that we share with God. What is it? What is this whole series, this whole series wrapped up in? What is it about? Uh, and so we're going to read from Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and also Acts uh, chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. We'll start off there, and then we will jump in uh, to, the past, uh, to the sermon. So starting in Matthew 28 first, one of the most well-known verses, the Great Commission, says, And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Next, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. Another version of the Great Commission, Jesus is sending before he ascends. It says, So when they had come together, the disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So the disciples ask him a question. Jesus says, don't worry about that question, but this is what you need to worry about. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so uh, usually if you've been coming for a while, uh, we speak from one portion of scripture and we live in there. Last week, this week, we are really doing what's called topical messages. We're talking about different things to kind of set us up for this entire series on what we're going to be talking about, which is on mission. And so last week, God's heart, this week, our mission. And really, God's heart leads us to our mission and what we are supposed to do. The, the reason why we started with what God's heart was was because we, we can't really understand what our mission is or the significance of our mission unless we really understand where God's heart is. And uh, to talk about our mission today, and when I say our, I don't just mean me and you. I mean also the church as a whole, and I also mean God himself. He's part of this. This is his mission as well that we share in with him. And, but to understand that, we need some context. And so we're going to spend some time going all the way back to the beginning, just looking really briefly uh, at a man named Abraham. Some of you have heard of him, some of you haven't. Uh, very, uh, just one of the patriarchs in scripture. And what happened was all of the earth was turning away from God in Genesis, uh, except for this man named Abraham. And so God looks at Abraham, he sees someone who is righteous, who has kept faith in him, who trusts him, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to make a promise with you. And he says, I'm, I'm going to give you a great people. You are going to become a great nation. And this nation that Abraham becomes out of his children's children's children is the nation of Israel. The people of God. The people that God says, you are my people. And all the other peoples have rejected me. You are the people because of the, your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that are mine. That are going to be my people. 
But there's twofold promise that God gave Abraham. He says, not only am I going to make you a great nation, you're going to be my people, but through you, I'm going to bless all people. So this is the Gentiles. You know, if you read scripture, you understand there are two people in the minds of the Jewish people. There are the Jews and there are the Gentiles, which is them, their people, and then everybody else. Everybody else. So God in the very beginning tells Abraham, you are going to have a great people. You are going to be my people. But through you, all the people of the earth, all the Gentiles, they are all going to be blessed. Now you fast forward centuries and centuries later. Uh, the Jewish people have a very rigorous system that deeply sets them apart from everybody else. The best way to kind of still see this around is the Hasidic community. You know, if you go after Ninth Avenue, uh, Sunset Park, into Borough Park, you see the Hasidic community. Now they have their own way of dressing. They have their own style. They got, you know, they, they heard from God about the beard. Um, they have the, the great beards going on. They, they have literally everything. They have their, uh, they shop in their own community. They, uh, you know, purchase things, buy all of this stuff. They have their own community set up. So they're the best kind of representation of what is happening with the Jews at this time. They have made their own people. No, it's very hard to get in. It's very hard to get into their system and to their religious ways. Um, and so what, uh, happens is Jesus comes on the scene. You know, and here are the Jewish people. They're saying, we are the chosen ones. Uh, salvation is going to come through us. Uh, we are God's people. Nobody else. Jesus comes on the scene. In God's mind, the fall of humanity is still fresh. Scripture says a day is like a thousand years to him. So it's still fresh. But Jesus has a mission. He has a plan and a goal that kind of goes against this isolationist understanding of God that the Jewish people were operating in and living in at the time. And you can read with me on the screen, John chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus is teaching and he says this to the Jewish people. He says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. So the other sheep, Jesus is saying, he's saying there's other sheep that need to come into the fold. These are the Gentiles. They need to come in. It was the start of this mission that we're talking about. Jesus is explaining that to the brothers and sisters, that it's not just them anymore. There are other people on the earth that I need to bring in. There are other sheep, and this is his job. And what Jesus does is he lays down his life, he dies, specifically so that non-Jews, which is probably 99% of people here, could be a part of God's people again. In Acts 26, 23, it says that the Christ may suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to who? Both to our people, the Jewish people, and to the Gentiles. So what? Why did Christ suffer? Why was he killed? 
Well, because of this mission that he come to bring the rest of the sheep into the fold so that the light of God can not only be proclaimed to the Jewish people, but can be proclaimed to all people, also the Gentiles. Now, if you think that this was easy for the Jewish people to swallow, it was not. Even for Christians, the people who followed Jesus, there were fierce debates that we read about in the book of Acts and in the epistles that continued to happen for a long time where a lot of Jewish people would say, we, we can't accept the Gentiles. This is not the way of God. Yet, thankfully, the apostles would who sat under Jesus' teaching, were able to hear from God and hear from the Holy Spirit that, yes, all people are to be part of the flock, are able to come in, that you are not only to proclaim what to Judea, but also to Samaria, which in, in their minds, those Samaritans were Gentiles, just the same as everybody else, and then when? To the ends of the earth. This was no longer supposed to be an isolated people group in parts of the world, but was supposed to be a message that spread to everybody. And Jesus came and died in order that this message may be proclaimed to everyone. Everybody on the earth was now on God's mission board. Not just Israel, not just the faithful, everyone. So the mission of God now is then we need to proclaim this light. We need to spread the gospel to everybody. But this is where we start getting mixed up with words because we ask ourselves, what is the gospel? We use this word often a lot of times uh, in sermons and we, when we read the Bible, we see this word often. When we talk with our friends, we talk about preaching of the gospel and understanding of the gospel and learning of the gospel, but many times we don't actually understand what the gospel is. You know, we understand it as it's the power unto salvation, Romans says. The gospel is the power unto salvation for people to receive Jesus. You know, we hear about it, we learn about it, but what is it? You know, gospel is actually, it means the good news. So when we Understand what is the gospel? What is this thing that we learn about, that we proclaim, that leads people into salvation? It is the good news that there has been a way that has been prepared for all to have life with God once again. The good news is this, that me and you and our parents and their parents and their parents before us rejected God. But God in his Mercy and his grace did not take that rejection and say, well, you know what? Screw you. I'm done with you guys. You know, you can have fun. You can enjoy yourself. I'm going to go to another planet on the other side of this universe with billions of stars, and I'm going to have a new time and create a new people, and maybe they won't be as rebellious and as stubborn as you. And guess what? We deserve that. If God said that, if God was was like us humans, this would be his reaction. If anybody of us, that's why I, I'm thankful that no human around today is God. Because there would be a quick, you know, we think even the most patient person on earth is going to lose patience pretty quickly with humanity. I mean, once you know everybody's thoughts, once you know everybody's heart, 
once you know everybody's intentions and everybody's actions, the fact that God still loves us knowing just one of our thoughts and one of our intentions is a miracle unto itself. And so this is the good news is that he does still love us. That even though we rejected him, he still came, not only made a way for us, but the only way possible that we can have relationship with us is through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus lays down his life so that this good news can be real. But then, what does Jesus say? He says, go and spread the news. Go and spread the news. You know, something that we have to understand is that if we are not spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus, then we are missing the point of his death and his resurrection. Absolutely missing it. And But there are reasons why we are okay with this. There are reasons why we're okay with not spreading the good news. And it's because... Many times we have made church and we've made the gospel about me and not about others. You know, what's interesting is that by the very definition of the gospel or good news, literally news is something somebody else is supposed to hear. Right? Newspapers don't create the newspaper and then just leave it at the printing house so that they can all read it together. What do they do? You ever see an old movie, what they used to do back in the day? Extra, extra, read all about it. They would have people go around, what? They wanted to spread the news. The very inherent definition of the news is for other people to hear and to believe what they are hearing and reading. But the gospel has many times become selfish for us. And this is how we know, if the gospel is only, if the good news is only how much I am loved and how much I am forgiven, but is not how I am a builder of the kingdom of God and a witness to the good news of Jesus Christ, then our gospel has become selfish. So if the only thing that we relate to God about and the only thing that we celebrate with him is how much I am loved and how much I am forgiven, but not how much I am supposed to spread this love and spread this forgiveness then we have given in and been co-opted by the selfishness of our culture. And the gospel has lost its power to be good news and the power of salvation for others and has only become the power of salvation for me. So if the spreading of the news of Jesus is not part of our definition of the gospel when we talk about the gospel and we pray about the gospel and we are thankful for the gospel, then we have severely misinterpreted the understanding of the gospel. Do we see this? Do you understand that in scripture, one of the main jobs of the Holy Spirit is this, to empower us to witness Do you understand that one of the main jobs of miracles in Scripture, if we read whenever miracles happen in their context, is for the power of witness? Do you understand that one of the main jobs of healing in Scripture, whenever you see people healed by Jesus or in Scripture, what happens? There is a strong witness of the gospel. 
right? We just read this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what? And you will be my witness to the ends of the earth. Think about every time that Jesus heals, if you are familiar with the gospel. There's one time in particular that I'll read real quick. But every time he heals, it was for mission. Every time he heals, people come to the saving grace of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 5, it's, Jesus says to people right before he's about to heal somebody, he says, for which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? Do you understand that his healing and his salvation were inextricably together? They were never separated from one another. See, to Jesus, it was the same thing whether this person was healed or this person believed. It was the good news to them that you are healed, that the kingdom of God is here. And so he says, which is easier? Your sins are forgiving or rise up and walk? Because they are interchangeable. I mean, think of the woman at the well where Jesus gives this lady a prophetic word. Talking to her, Jesus sits down at the well and talks to a woman. He breaks a lot of barriers in doing this. And he asks the woman, he says, why don't you go get your husband? The woman says, I have no husband. Jesus says, you're right, you have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the one that you're with right now is not currently your husband. If you've had five partners and the one you're with now you're just shacking up with and nothing's going on, the last person a lot of times you want to hang out with is a prophet. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't just give her this word so that she feels shameful and goes home after that. He gives her this word. Why? So that she can believe. And then what does she do after this? It says in scripture she goes and gets her entire town. And she brings them to him so that they can hear him speak. And they all believe. And they witness the power of Jesus. In the book of Acts, we see the same thing over and over again. Somebody receives healing. The power of God comes. There is a mighty witness. They are bold. And then what happens? People come to know Jesus, and what has happened is we want God's power, but we don't want to be God's witness. We pray, God, I want your spirit, I want to be empowered by you, I want to, the gifts of the spirit, and I want to see your Holy Spirit at work in my life, but we refuse to be his witness. God will not empower you with his spirit if you will not witness his good news. You want to see God's power? Be a witness. You want to see the Holy Spirit on display and at work? Go. Be a witness. Talk to somebody that you have thought this person will never believe in the gospel. And watch and believe in the Spirit of God and see what he can do. I've had conversations where I thought, man, this person will never believe in God. But God, I'm open. And then all of a sudden, 
They're crying a couple of minutes later, confessing Jesus Christ. That's the spirit of God at work. I was talking to my niece and nephew yesterday. They, uh, they were dedicated, my brother and his wife, they had twins. They live in Seattle, so they came in uh, to do the baby dedication yesterday. So we gathered a lot of friends and family at the baby dedication, and I was hanging out with somebody at uh, the church I pastored before. Uh, one of the ladies, uh, she started an outreach team, uh, evangelistic team at the church uh, while I was the pastor there. And so I was just asking her how it was going. And it was she just started telling me these crazy stories. I mean, you would not believe it. Just in this uh, past year, they have seen four people just healed on the street uh, in Sunset Park that they've gone up to and prayed. They started a ministry where every week they feed 150 homeless on a weekly basis. They've seen since the beginning of the year 100 people come to Jesus. And they've been dispersing them into different churches in Sunset Park. And this is only in the past year. And you know what? It, it doesn't surprise me because when people are on mission and they step out and they believe God, Scripture is very clear about this, that there is a witness of the Holy Spirit that goes with our witness of the gospel. God does not leave us hanging to do this by ourselves. Jesus says what? He has all authority. And what does that mean? To go. With his authority, he sends us off to make disciples. We are not going on our authority. We're not going on our power. I've prayed for people in my own power. You know what happens? Nothing. You know, I have, I have tried to use the power of my mind to create wealth, to create healing. You know what happens? Nothing. There's only one power that is true and is real. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit has specifically been given to us. One of its main purposes, its first time descending on the disciples in the day of Pentecost is what? To spread the good news of Jesus. It says that when the Spirit descended on the day of Pentecost, they began to pray in tongues, which meant at that point, glossolalia, they were praying in different languages. And during the Feast of Pentecost, there were people from all different nations that had gathered, and they heard each in his own tongue people glorifying God as the fire of the Holy Spirit fell upon them. People praying in languages that they never heard and giving testimony and witness to the glory of God. And what happened? Some people thought they were drunk and insane. Some people received Jesus and the church grew that day. The very first outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the church was an outpouring for witness unto the testimony and gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can see that same power and that same witness. And a lot of times, you know, the, we as a church, we think, okay, I got this person to church. My job is done. 
That's it. I'm good. They came one week. I'm Gucci. I'm ready to go. Everything's good. But that is untrue. What does Jesus say? He says, go and get people to come to church one week. No. What does he say? Go and make disciples. I say this often, and I will say it more. The job of the leadership in the church is not to do the work of the ministry. It's to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So the church of the job is to equip you so that you can what? Bring them to church, yes. Help them in their journey. Walk alongside them. Pray with them. And disciple them so that they can now go on mission with you. And a lot of the common excuse that I hear is this. Well, I just don't know enough. I'm going to give you a story of a 10-year-old boy named Justin, who said a lot of dumb things about the Bible. You know, if I think back about all the things I would tell my friends when I was witnessing to them, they were just dumb. There's no other way to say it. Uh, But I remember one night I had invited one of my friends. um, I'm sorry, before that, I was talking to one of my friends. We were on the stoop, 10 years old. And he was asking me questions about Jesus, and I was answering questions. At the end of the conversation, I said, do you want to follow Jesus? He said, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. So I said, all right, let's pray a prayer together. Let's pray together. So he prayed the sinner's prayer of accepting Jesus into his heart. And then uh, that night, we had a prayer meeting at church. I said, why don't you come with me to church? We'll pray together. So he came. we, uh, We had a prayer meeting at church. He came, and he prayed. And then on Friday, we had youth group. I said, why don't you come with me on Friday? You can come to Uh, The youth group, the youth leaders hated me. I was the pastor's kid. I had special privileges. So I was a 10-year-old bringing my 11 and 12 and 10-year-old friends to church when you were supposed to be a teenager to go to youth group. Um, And so I brought him with me to church, and I said, well, do you have a Bible? He didn't have a Bible. So I asked my parents, can we buy him a Bible? This is, let's, why don't we start reading the Bible together? Why don't we, during our sleepovers, why don't we start having prayer meetings uh, as part of our sleepovers together? And this Half the things I told him were probably untrue during all this course. But today, that guy who grew up with me on the block, he is still serving God, married, and also a witness of his faith to other people. And so the point of this is, if a 10-year-old who hardly knows anything about the gospel and about the Bible, God can use to bring other people to faith, then we here know enough. To bring somebody to faith. And a lot of times people think, well, I need a doctorate degree in order to explain this or to talk about this. You don't. The mission is everything. And all of us are supposed to be part of it. And if we feel insufficient, then we only need to look at the word and hear this. That Jesus makes a promise. He says, I will be with you to the end of the age. Jesus is with us in our witness. When he says, go and make disciples, what does he say? I am with you while you do this to the end of the age. What is the end? Have we come to the end of the age yet? No. I'm still here. You're still here. I mean, unless it's the matrix or something and nobody told us. But we are here. 
The end of the age has not come. Jesus is with us in our witness. And we can be comforted in that. We can be confident in that. We can be joyous in that, that when we go into these conversations, that when we go into these situations, that we are not alone. That Jesus, through the helper of the Holy Spirit, is among us while we do this and is with us. That when we share the good news that Jesus has come and he has died and he has rose in order to gather his sheep back into the fold, that he is with us. You know that wise words will not be the thing that bring people to salvation. And that is one of the biggest misconceptions uh, that people that want to share the gospel have. That if I just know enough about everything, that every question that is asked of me, that I need to have, I need to know how to be able to refute it. Do you understand that uh, if you are able to debate somebody into the kingdom of God, they can be debated out of the kingdom of God? It is not a matter of wisdom and debate. It is a matter of the spirit of God and his power. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul explains how he came to the Corinthian church and what happened in his witness. He says, and when I came, I came to you, brothers and sisters. I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, sounds like an amazing preacher, and my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom. I want to hear Paul every week. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yeah, that's something to amen. Because let me tell you. That when I come across a trial and a hard situation, it is not the logic of my life and my situation that gets me through, but it is my rest in the power and authority of God that gets me through. And so when we come to people, when we try to come with wisdom and we try to come with lofty speech and great communication skills, what it does is it's, it's a tool that the enemy uses to keep our mouths shut and our witness broken, and our power gone. But instead, Paul, who probably planted more churches than anybody else at this time in the early church, came with none of these things, but came with a demonstration of the power of God. Do you know that in order to demonstrate the power of God, you need to make sure that you pray a lot, that you read a lot, that you go to church a lot, that you do all the things right so that when the formula clicks and hits, that you can work up the juice, give them a little shot of it, and they get slain. Do you know that's how it works? You know when we think that's how it works, what we're really saying is I have enough in me to conjure up the power in order for this to happen. I've wrestled with this for years. When I would pray for people and nothing would happen, I would get disappointed in myself. 
when I would want to witness, but I thought, God, I haven't been 100% with you lately, so I can't do this. What I'm telling God is it depends on my power and my authority to make this happen. But instead, God says, hey, buddy, we're bypassing you. Thank God. Thank myself for it. And we're going to rely on the power that I have and not the power that you have. There's no formula. What does God want? Willing hearts. People that trust in him and believe in him. That he will say, do this, and you do it. That when I prayed for people and nothing happened, that wasn't in my hands. That was in his. All I know is I'm following his orders. That even if for every ten people that I prayed for or I witnessed to, if only one came to Christ, that there would be rejoicing in heaven over that one that my life was complete and now worthy of something of treasure to bring with me into heaven. That more than any hours I worked in my job, more than any great sermons that I preached, more than any hours I put in in, in doctrine study and wisdom gathering, more than any of that, the people that I listened to God to and witnessed and shared the good news of his death and his resurrection, his power over sin, his reconciliation of humankind, and they believed in him and followed him that was more joyous, more great, more powerful than anything else I could do. And then to take that person with me, guess what? If you've come to this church more than three weeks, you know enough. You know where to take them. You know what app that they can get some community on. You know what podcast to listen to. There is more than enough information. Your job doesn't have to be to teach them everything. Your job can just be to help them to make sure that they're learning. Guess what? You can just read the Bible with them. You can pray with them. You can, on that, on that Sunday morning, call them, hey, you coming? Do you need me to get you? Send a text Saturday night or maybe before a hangout so you can introduce them to some more people. Hey, how you doing? Are you able to come? Do you need me to get you? Every day here. Let's read the scripture together. Let's talk about what, what do you see in it? What do I see in it? See, a lot of times we get hung up where, man, I need to teach them the doctrine of atonement and, and the, the, you know, the propitiation of sins and all these big words. And I need to understand all of the history of the church and the trinity and answer. No. When God gets somebody's heart. And you just, just read the Bible with them. Just pray. All of us are equipped to do that, are able to do that. You know where to send them to. You know who to ask questions of. I pray that throughout this summer that God will increase our faith. We have Melody who's leading outreach. I sat with her and had lunch two weeks ago and... Uh, the reason why I asked her to lead outreach is because it's been a while since I've met somebody that just has the most amazing God stories of people that they talk to all the time. 
But the thread that I hear in her conversations is not, man, I, I brought them through this X, Y, and Z. It is, I just felt led to do this. I felt led to pray with them. I felt led to share this. And I did that. And I told them about Jesus. And all of a sudden, they're asking me questions. We're praying together. And, and now I'm sending them scripture. And she, she has like 30 stories of this constantly. And somebody may look at that and they may say, God, I want to see the power of God work in my life like it does not her. How much do you pray, Melody? How much do you read? How much do you go to church? How long have you been saved? I helped lead Melody to Christ in college. Yet she has seen the power of God move through her more than I've seen some people who have been Christians for their entire lives for 40, 50 years. Because all it takes is some faith and believing in what God said. That he said to go, I'm going to go. He said he's going to be with me, I'm going to trust he's with me. He said to disciple, I'm going to disciple. He said he's sending his spirit so that I can witness. So I'm going to thank God for his spirit and pray for his power to empower me to witness. Some of you have been so trapped in your mind. I just feel like God is saying this to you right now. You've been trapped in your mind. And there's been a lot of loneliness. There's been a lot of depression. There's been a lot of hardship. And you've been asking God, God, where are you in this? And I believe that God will reveal himself to you and will show himself to you. As we realize that his gospel is not so just I can have a good life so that I can be happy. But his gospel is here to spread the news, to be on mission. And some of you God has already used to be on mission and you've still been tormented. We'll be at peace and have joy today. That God is celebrating your life with you. You may struggle, you may have hardship. But let me tell you, God celebrates over the one who is lost and is found more than the 99 who are righteous. If you struggle with your righteousness, but you have been bringing the sheep into the fold and there is more joy in heaven than the brother or sister who has been perfect, but his mouth or her mouth has been shut to the news of Jesus Christ. This is serious. This is significant. And this is God's heart and our mission. And I pray that we as a church will take it seriously. That we will have stories of, man, I just, I just started speaking to this person. And let me tell you, people will have one or two reactions like they did in the day of Pentecost. They will think you were crazy or they will become a disciple of God. And God, if a few people have to think I'm crazy so that some others can have eternal life with you, then I'm okay with that. Because I've seen what it's done in my life and I pray that over time the ripple effect will happen. That the few disciples that I make will then go on mission with me and make some disciples. And then their disciples will go on mission together. And then we'll all be making disciples together. And what we will see is houses of worship full of people who love God and are spreading his news. That New York City will be a place where the good news is preached on a regular basis in our jobs and in our schools, in our families, on our blocks. 
blocks in our neighborhoods, that we can be excited about witnessing the power of God with one another and sharing stories of the Spirit's witness amongst us and God being with us to the end of the age as we share in the mission that he has given us. Zion, we cannot sleep on this. I pray that God keeps this in our prayers, that he reminds us of this, that every time we get caught up in myself, when every time we think of the gospel, that we would stop looking only internally and we would begin to look externally, that we would see the work of the Spirit and how much it's wrapped up in our witness, in our good news sharing. Can you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you called us to be on mission. We thank you, God, that you didn't leave us to do it alone. Thank you, God, that you didn't give us the tools and the resources. You said you were going to be with us. You sent your spirit to empower us, and you gave us every tool and every resource that we need. That, God, it has nothing to do with our schooling. It has nothing to do with our class. It has nothing to do with our level of who likes us and who doesn't, Father, but has everything to do with you. Remind us of that, God, when our excuses come, that we would be on mission.
to the world, to those around us. Let it overflow out of us, God. We don't want to be selfish. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. For those around us, fill us with your love. Let us see you with your eyes. Let us feel with your heart, God. Lead us in your spirit to those who need you, Jesus. 